0: Welcome to the health leaders finance podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien, finance editor for health leaders. My guest today is David Usher, chief financial officer at Edwards County Medical Center in Kinsley, Kansas. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, hospitals and health systems have had to find creative ways to address the challenges at hand and in some cases embrace financial innovations they hadn't implemented before. This dynamic is especially true for independent and rural provider organizations, which have been burdened by shrinking margins and difficult payer mixes in recent years. With that in mind, let's start our conversation there. David, what have been the most significant operational and financial changes that you've implemented at your organization during the pandemic?
1: We focus very much on opportunities to generate cash and opportunities to preserve our existing cash resources. Um, no rocket science, um, but there are a lot of moving parts in a critical access hospital that need to be worked on to get that done. Not least of all, you know, we got cost reports and things like that that are really important to us in, in terms of future cash and cash opportunities. Um, there's a, was government money likely to be in the offing. Um, I just made sure, and we just made sure that we applied for everything that was out there, and, and try to maximise the benefit we could get from it all to to build that cash, and hold our expenses really tight. Saw a lot of places talking about furloughs and layoffs, and, and that's not appropriate to a a small rural hospital. Um, some some can manage it, but ultimately we have too many people who wear too many hats. Um, when they wear those hats, I may be able to let them go under one of their hats, but I couldn't possibly let them go under the other one. So it really is an option, and we felt that our employees were loyal to us and we should be loyal to them, and we really gave them an undertaking. We wouldn't do anything crazy like that, and ask them for their cooperation in changing their hours as they saw fit, um, keeping expenses down, uh, all of those things. So really nothing, nothing, nothing complex, nothing exciting. Um and as we started to see things come out from federal government, from the state, and opportunities for us to do things differently, we 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 looked at those and we moved on those as quickly as we could.
0: I'm curious because you you spoke about how as a rural organization, obviously, that's different than some of these other organizations that are rooted in, you know, suburbs or inner cities. I'm curious, even before the pandemic, obviously, these rural health organizations like yours were struggling or were faced with some pretty significant challenges. Can you kind of lay out what your organization was faced with even before the, the pandemic? Because I imagine that those themes are still going to be there whenever we get a vaccine, those same challenges or dynamics.
1: Absolutely. You know, we're we're always we're never gonna be cash rich. Um we're always struggling, reimbursement is always on the down. Uh, and, and in a small organization you'd like to think that you were able to respond very quickly to changes like that. But these are very conservative with a small c rural communities. Change is not something that happens easily. Um and and so you know cash. Control is critical, expense control is critical, optimization of, of cost reports, which are what drives the vast majority of small hospitals are massively dependent on Medicare, and the reimbursement for Medicare is driven by our cost reports. So, using those cost reports, optimizing them to make sure that we're extracting the best we can get is really critical. And when you run into something like this where volumes drop through the floor, um so we don't have as much medicare the, the nature of a cost report is that we, we need to use it very quickly i this year we've done an interim cost report i don't believe i've done an interim cost report very many times in my time in small hospitals but we've done one this year because the lower volumes and pretty basic similar costs mean we should actually get paid paid more money by medicare so we we optimized that very quickly.
0: I'm curious from your perspective, obviously, when I've been speaking with other CFOs from different markets around the country, the one thing they keep saying is obviously telehealth has taken off during this pandemic. And that's likely to, even if it's not being utilized at the same rate it is now, it's still going to be much more mainstream than it ever was pre-pandemic. But there are obviously some things that might be fads during the pandemic that may not continue after we get a vaccine. I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think is likely to stay around in terms of financial management and and hospital operations? What do you think might go by the wayside?
1: I think a lot lot of the CMS waivers that were put out to make it easier for us to do things. We would love to stay in place because they make management of the business, they take out a lot of the regulation of this business and make it much easier for for us to operate Um, things like, Three day stays before we can put a patient in a swing bed, and 96, the 96 hour rule that says we we're not allowed technically to have a patient in our facility more than 96 hours. Those kind of things were waived through this. Uh, they help us. They make it really good. I, I have a sneaking suspicion they won't stay waived very long, and so we're going to have to go back to what we did before. But it's really important that we try to work. And figure out how to do that better than we did it. I don't wanna go back to normal. Um, I think there's way too much use of the new normal, but that's the truth. Um, we, we've gotta figure out how to do things differently to how we used to do them. Um, and we don't really know until these, you know, the waivers that CMS put out have really helped us to do a lot more things that we wouldn't have been able to do before. Um, I don't know how long they stay in place, but we've got to find ways now to to maintain what we're getting from the what benefits we get from those in some different way.
0: I am curious from your perspective because at the time that we're recording this, it was just a couple of days ago that President Trump signed an executive order that was supposed that was aimed at uh, making some of those telehealth waivers permanent for Medicaid beneficiaries, but also to boost rural health. I'm curious from your perspective. Obviously, we're an election year, so things are up in the air, but do you get a sense that more help is going to be on the way for rural providers? And if so, what would that look like? You've talked about these uh, waivers staying in place to give you more flexibility, but what else does rural health need? What do these provider organizations need to not only thrive, but survive?
1: I think solidifying our revenue or our reimbursement streams is critical, um, when volumes drop like they have, we we lose money coming in the door really, really quickly um, because we don't have many patients. We don't got 10,000 Medicare patients. We you know, we got maybe a thousand Medicare patients out out here. Um, so when it drops off and it goes cuts in half, our revenues from some really key things to critical access hospitals like swing beds um, drop off very quickly. Patients don't want to come near the hospital, and there's no line of distinction between a patient with no insurance, and a patient with Medicare, and a patient with Medicaid, and a patient with commercial insurance. They, they, none of them are coming to the hospital, so it's it's, it's problematic for us.
0: Is there anything that hasn't been fully embraced by hospital leaders? And I'm not only talking from a rural health perspective, but just uh, financial management in general. That you would like to see put into place? Has there been anything that's still in the holster that no one's taken out to give it a shot?
1: Yeah, I, I, I feel like telehealth has become something really big all of a all of a all of a sudden, um, and it's been really difficult for us. Others have done much better at it than we have. But I don't know if anybody's done anything It's done in a hurry it's not an awful lot of planning behind it. so telehealth has been one of the, the the good things to come out of this and it sounds like it's here to stay uh, I think it's important that it is here to stay because it, it changes our business model much of the other stuff I mean have, having government money in my pockets fabulous I really I really appreciate it it gives me something to lean on I, I don't have to worry about where how we replace a CT scanner how we replace major equipment which is obviously significant cost and we, we can do these things but it's hard Um when when, when you get government funding like we've seen recently it, it's great but it doesn't doesn't come with a clear set of rules and, and that's my, my problem now is I've got money I've got money to sustain me but How much of that money am i going to be expected to pay back and how am i going to have to pay it back and you know i was able to go out and get an advanced payments from medicare i now have to figure out how to pay that back because medicare's plan on that really seemed to stop it well we're just going to take it back off you 120 days after you got the money and nobody's i don't believe that was the intent of congress but that's the way it's going to be and and that's the struggle is the, these things are, are are really good things but they need to be done but needs to be do, done better and, and as an organization we have got to start looking we we know reimbursements dropping it's, it's the na- nature of this beast is we're going to see less reimbursement for the same business every year probably for the next million years how do we deal with that how do we replace that it really puts us in a position where we have either got to Cut our cloth the corning and, and cut back and do perform less services and, and do less business for our community and make our community travel further. Or we got to find a way to do that business and replace that revenue so that we can sustain ourselves at the current level or improve. Um, my preference is, is always for the to sustain. And there are there are ways of doing that. And I don't believe that. Healthcare is quite caught up with that generally. And I, I see in um, urban areas uh, an emergence of what they're calling direct care, where you almost take a subscription from a patient for their health care rather than rely on insurance and, and give them a guaranteed level of care, a guaranteed number of visits, guaranteed number of lab tests. Yeah, I think that's something in a rural community where we have low income. We have small business out here that's not excessively wealthy and is running on a, a tight budget itself that can't afford health insurance. Why would we know as a hospital be doing some of that direct care and looking at that? It's stuff we'll look at. But I don't think the pressure's been on us in the past to actually do that stuff like it is now.
0: Speaking of pressure, because it's obviously something that's top of mind with a number of provider organizations, there is the fear that M&A activity is going to really spike now that you've had so many organizations with these really pressured margins. Is that something that you're keeping an eye out for? I mean, just given that you're not part of a larger system, I'm curious from your perspective uh, what it's going to mean for you if, say, there start to be these regional or national systems that emerge that start picking off independent or community hospitals.
1: Yeah, it's sort of always front of mind. We're a small organization. We don't have, as I said, we don't have deep pockets. We have affiliations with other facilities, but those those larger systems need a steady stream of patients, so they're looking for referrals. So you know, we're we're in a position to give them referrals, but how much of that stuff should we do on site here, and how much of that stuff should we be doing just sending it to the the nearest city, I and mean, with significant distance from anywhere of, of any size so we can put stuff out there and do stuff i think here that uh, they can't but we gotta work Th- there's gonna be pressure increasingly for us to work closer with some of the bigger systems to to provide services on site here for our residents um using their providers very likely because i i can't afford to Bring a cardiologist in, in here and pay a cardiologist salary. I've got to find a cardiologist that will come here from another system.
0: Yeah, I remember speaking with a CEO of a hospital in Wyoming a couple of years ago, and he was saying that exact same thing. That they had some sort of rotation with systems that were out in Salt Lake City because it was just the closest city they had, and it was a similar thing. They couldn't pay a urologist a salary, but they could, you know, at least bring them in a couple of days a week so that they were being seen and they were getting it in there. So it's, it sounds like it's a similar dynamic that's at play with your organization. I think so, yeah. I, I just have one final question. You've been very generous with your time here. I'm curious if there's any sort of advice or strategy that you'd, you'd offer to a rural hospital CEO who or CFO who will listen to this, just in terms of what the future holds.
1: I think the, the single biggest lesson is that We've learned an awful lot through this pandemic, it's still ongoing, we're still learning. If we don't learn those lessons and use those lessons to improve our business and change our business model and do different things, that we're gonna have lost those lessons. Just really, we can't go back. This is this is probably the the, the single most Opportunistic thing to happen in a lot of ways. I mean, it, it, it's hurtful, it's hard, it's stressful on all of us, but it's an opportunity for us to actually change the model and move a, move in a different direction, start and take on some challenges and and do things a little different. And I think I'd be encouraging. I'm encouraging everybody that I interact with to to look at things like that.
0: Well, I think it's an optimistic message kind of pivoting from, obviously, the dire circumstances we're in to look at something positive. And hopefully, if there's a leader out there that's listening to this or reads the story when it comes out, they'll be able to take that lesson away and and maybe make it actionable. So I I appreciate uh, you taking the time to speak with me. It's been great to hear your insights. And I really hope that we get to follow up sometime in the future when things are a little less chaotic.
1: Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Well, I thank you, and I thank you to our listeners for joining us on the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other.